Welcome to Relational Mission, a way of life. A podcast where we discuss what it means to be a family of churches on mission with God, to be globally fruitful, crossing all boundaries, to reach the nations, to make disciples and plant locally led churches. This is the second series exploring what it means to be a word and spirit church. Welcome everyone. Great to be back to host the second session of the Relational Mission Word and Spirit series. My name's Adam Vogt and I'm from Cornerstone City Church in Medway in the southeast of England. And I'm welcoming back again Anna Goodman, who is from City Church in Cambridge. She's on the leadership team there. And also Mike Betts, who's up at Lowestoft Community Church and is also on the apostolic team that leads Relational Mission. Great to have you. Hello. Good to be back for part two. We're back. Yeah, super to be here. Just as a bit of a reminder of what we are focusing on in these coming weeks, in the first session, this was one of the things that Mike Betts underlined. He said that the importance of having a word and spirit foundation where both are interlocked together united means that we have a strong doctrinal foundation and that means that we can go on adventures with the holy spirit with a bit more security mike why don't you just give us a little bit more of a explanation of what we mean by that well there's various i suppose applications to it but just just let's just think of one for example um when it comes to perhaps exercising the gift of prophecy if someone is well attuned to scripture, they understand doctrine, they understand um, you know, the broad brushstrokes of scripture, they understand you know, important theological concepts and doctrines and practices that are very familiar to New Testament church life, uh, then they're more likely, and they're, and they're filled with, with an awareness of what's in the Bible, they're more likely to be able to prophesy on the back of biblical principle rather than, you know, I don't know, I see a picture of a penguin flying backwards sort of thing. They think, well, what's all that about? There's, there's, there's going to be some more substance, some some depths that you can draw on. So, so it's sort of like giving us the resources from which we can then sort of take great leaps forward. And even when things happen in the meetings or happen individually, one-to-one, or happen in a context of mission that are unfamiliar to us and perhaps we've never experienced before, how do we weigh them? How do we know whether they're things that we can – embrace you know uh, that often happens when you read revival histories you know extraordinary manifestations of God's presence and left people all scratching their heads thinking we've never seen this before so I think being able to root our experience back to scripture safely and securely really does help us then to embrace when God does move in perhaps in the unusual ways that, that we might not see every day yeah yeah that's helpful and and maybe Anna I'll I'll uh spring on to you because i know you've you've written about prophecy mike touched on prophecy there and um i know in in your your book uh, just searching around for the book on my table which I don't know, but, um, in that book i'm pretty sure you will have touched on not just hearing god's voice but how we hear god's voice in multiple ways uh, which would include the the bible so just thinking of prophecy and we're not going to get stuck down this today at all but just where we're on it so um, Mike talked there about that example so have you had any thoughts on that about the importance of the Bible alongside directly hearing God's voice have you got Mm. anything you could add into that um well I think everything that you that comes out your mouth should be uh firmly rooted and um planted on foundations of scripture so nothing that you ever share with anyone else should contradict scripture um i think that's really really important um and i think yeah i mean whenever i try and share anything or encourage other people to listen to god for themselves and to share anything i i always try and get them to attach whatever they feel like god is saying to to ask god for a scripture that will support that because I do think you know as Mike said that it gives 
Um, you want that weightiness. You don't want penguins flying around and, you know, they're going to fly away. You need that to be sort of firmly um, weighted into scripture because otherwise you will be getting, um, you could be misled, you could go astray. And um, I think you just at the heart of everything, you want God's word to be implanted and rooted in that so i i strongly encourage that um actually when i when i try and get people to listen to god for the first time i try and say you know just ask for bible passages for people because yeah. i think you know if you start there and end there then you're going to be in a safe place yeah. um and i think that is that is the way we measure up everything weigh everything and and make sure that we're safe for other people, when we share God's words, you know, if we're sharing God's words, we're safe. We're, you know, people can trust us because you can trust the Bible. You can trust God's word. So yeah. um, 100%, I think the Bible should, you know, what's written in the Bible should be yeah. in everything you say when it comes to prophecy. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I think the the importance of being a people that are filled with and saturated in the Bible means that as you say, people are more likely to, to be speaking the Bible without having to pluck random thoughts. And I think the Holy Spirit is then drawing people to the Bible. So if we're if we're filled with the word of God, it's like we're we're putting the, the fuel in place, which the Holy Spirit can then come and bring spark to at different times. And so I think it's one of the reasons why things like Bible memorization you know, and perhaps we'll get onto that in a future week. I know we're we're going to look at um, how do we read the Bible and how what does that look like personally on another week. But memorizing the Bible, I, I, I know when I first became a Christian or gave my life back to God, I spent some time there going every day through different scriptures, the Navigators Bible memory course, and and uh, would just literally every morning. I think when I was in the shower, I used to just recite them all. And I found that 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 helped me in my prayer life. It helped me to to recall truth and be, be, begin to speak it over others and pray it. So, so important we do that. But today we, we want to zone in on Jesus, which is a great place to start. And we know Jesus was someone who 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 prophesied. We know he was a prophet, um, but he was more he was more than just a prophet. But he also had the, a deeply committed relationship to the scriptures. And he was a, a man of the word. He was a preacher as well. So we want to we want to look at what the word and spirit look like united in the life of Jesus. So let's just think about that for a moment. So the, the, the Bible, uh, there was no New Testament as such for Jesus, but the um, the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus presumably must have read them a lot and he knew them a lot. And when he started off his public ministry and he quoted from Isaiah 61 and said the spirit of the spirit of the sovereign lords on me um here I am to proclaim good news and bring freedom so he's he's using the word that the bible he's saying this is what it says but at the same time he's he's prophesying about himself what he's going to do he's fulfilling prophecy and then he goes on to actually do that so um, let's just think about that. What, when you imagine Jesus, do, do you imagine that he's at home reading reading the Bible? Like, did he have a devotional time like, you know, evangelical Christians talk about? Now, how did he know the Bible? Has anyone got comments on that? Where did he learn it? What did he think of it? How did he know who he was? Yeah, there are two aspects, obviously, to Jesus' nature. He's fully human, fully divine, which we'll touch on perhaps a bit more as we go through this, but we have to allow him to be fully human. We have to allow him to be just like us, except without sin, which means that he didn't bypass any of the normal human uh, modes and methods of um, engaging with his surroundings or learning abilities. He grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and favor with man is what it says in, in Luke 2.42, I believe which is a great prayer to pray over your children or your grandchildren, just to pray those four things, you know. But he had to do that. 
And it's recorded, obviously, he went when he was 12 years old, he was in the temple asking questions, yeah. so much so that they lost him, you know, because <laughs> he was just so engaged. Yeah. Uh, and he wasn't asking, trying to trick them and sort of saying, oh, but I know more than you. No, he was trying to find out. So I think his his parents, his family, extended family, would have trained him in understanding the scriptures so that by the time he got to stand up in the in the synagogue and said, read from Isaiah 61, as you just pointed out, and said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled. That wouldn't have been just an, just an immediate sense of the prophetic coming upon him. That would have been a whole lifetime of yeah. him learning who he was and coming to realize now is the moment when I see everything's lined up as to who I am, why I'm here. This is now my time to go public, as it were, and to begin to fulfill what I've learned is my um, calling with my father. So I think he, he went through normal learning processes, and um, but without sinful brokenness, which does mess with our heads a little bit. But we have to allow him to be human. I'm always trying to push people into that, to allow mm. him to be human, um, without obviously then pushing it so he ceased being God then. No, he didn't. But he was human fully, as we are. So, so he read the word... Mm. Uh, and came to that conclusion what what's the difference do you think between another person reading it and coming to that conclusion you know we 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 hear about people that think they're the messiah so presumably i mean the proof's in the pudding of course but there there must have been the holy spirit dynamic present then as well actually bringing something of that to light well yeah I and mean, this is where the the whole mystery of the trinity is 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 this is the transcendence of god his otherness so it's very difficult to sort of find accurate vocabulary to almost explain the unexplainable uh in as much as it's it's an essential ingredient of understanding the trinity that we cannot separate the indivisible unity of god so we can't separate jesus the man from Jesus uh, from from the Father, from the Holy Spirit. We can't we can't separate out Jesus, the Father, and Holy Spirit into sort of divisible parts, yeah. because God is one. So so there's a sense in which he was witnessing to his own self um, of what he already knew. So there there is a yes, there's a human learning, but there's an affirmation from his godness that these things are true. Um, so that he was testifying as a as a human to what he knew was true as as God, so it's a it's a very complicated, but nevertheless it's understandable. It's paradoxical, but it is understandable. It's not it's not contradictory, <coughs> but it's not but it is paradoxical. So did Jesus put it. did Jesus need the word, the Bible? Is well, much kinda, yeah. you know does he did he does he need to rely on it? I guess, I guess, in in the sense that you know, he is the Word. Again, you know, looking at John chapter one, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. So the the Bible is God's um, revelation to us yeah. of all that is true about Himself that He wants us to know. Now we don't worship the Bible; we worship Jesus, whom the Bible testifies of. But the Bible is 100% accurate revelation of what is true about God and about Jesus. So, so I kind of think it's like as he's as he's reading it, it's, it's it's testifying of himself. So, so it's not like he's learning things he didn't know. He's he's growing in the stature of what is already true of himself. It's if some if you I don't know plant a, an apple seed then. It's always an apple seed, and it will become an apple tree. It becomes what it essentially is. And I suppose Jesus, as a baby, in weakness and human frailty, was still God. So he was destined to become what he was. Do you see yeah. what I mean? So he's not he's not becoming something or learning something that was absent. He's he's growing into who he essentially was. Um, he was yeah. begotten, not made. In other words, produced eternally. From from God out of who God is, rather than I don't know. I could make a table, 
I don't beget a table. A table is something I make because it's different from me. If I was to beget something, it would be a son or a daughter. I would be producing something that's what I am after my own kind. So Jesus is begotten of the Father, not made by the Father. He's not different. Yeah. Yeah. So so in terms of our understanding of Jesus's relationship with the Bible, there's a sense in which it's it's different than ours because we're not approaching it as God, as as those who are divine. But yet there's a similarity in the sense that Jesus was also human as well as divine and we we read and engage with the same words that he engaged with so yeah well for example when he's in the wilderness being tempted it was a real temptation <coughs> so he so he went back to the word to say it's written it is written so yeah. he he fought in the same way as we would need to fight and it was a real fight for his humanity to resist the temptations that were being put to him. Now, in one sense, there's no way he could have fallen because he was inherently God and therefore inherently holy. But on the other hand, letting him be human, he also withstood temptation to a degree that none of us ever do because we usually give in way before he did, Uh, whereas he withstood right to the very fullest expression of temptation a human being could come under without yielding. Yeah. But he still had to he still had to stand his ground in the same way we do, but did it and resisted much. So it wasn't easier for him. He just pushed through to harder depths than we ever encounter and yeah. still stood. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, what about yourself, Anna? Any thoughts, reflections on that? <clears throat> just in terms even of thinking of your own your own engagement with the Bible. Do you find Jesus is helpful? Is 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 Jesus's engagement with the word motivating or do you see it as well? He was God. So of course he understands it and could engage with it, but I don't. How's that been in your own journey? Um, Well, I I just, back to the whole, you know, how do you think that, you know, Jesus would have studied the Bible and all of that. You know, we, we see that there were decades went by before he had his ministry. So, and they don't really go into any detail about what happened in that time. But we do know that, you know, the Israelites were encouraged, the parents were encouraged to, to pass on all of the stories um, to their children. So I'm assuming that Mary and Joseph parents had a huge role to play in just passing on the stories of, you know, everything that was, um, that had been experienced by the Israelites and that that was just a normal way of, you know, as you raise up your own children in that way. Um, but as we've sort of talked about, um, that the Holy Spirit was resonating, you know, we get told that, you know, as you, we need to read scripture and ask for the Holy Spirit to bring it alive to us and, um, bring it, you know, um, make it fire in our hearts. Um, And so I'm sure, you know, just as the whole of scripture points to Jesus from beginning to end, that actually as he was studying, learning about scripture, he was realizing, you know, this is, this is all pointing towards me. This is all testifying um, about who I am and who, what I'm going to do. So, um, Yes, I think, you know, he, he would have studied, he, he clearly loved scripture and knew, um, knew it. So he had a PhD, as it were, in, in scripture. And I think it's, that's just a great, great model for, um, for, I think, us as a right from the start to sort of educate our children right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I've completely gone off track of what you asked in the, the <laughs> original question now, though. What did you just Everything, say? I, I, I'm here to, to pull you back. <laughs> so in terms of your, your own motivation and help from Jesus's engagement with the word, is that something that inspires you or is it something that is not intimidating, but, well, that's what we expect from Jesus because he was God. Of course, he engaged with the word and, and understands it. How's that been for you? I know I think it inspires me because I think if Jesus treasured the word and um, held on to it and um, just spent a lot of time um, 
burying himself into it, so must we. We must love and prioritize the things that Jesus did. So I think he's he's a great um, model with that. I think one of the things particularly, you know, Mike's already touched upon it, um, for me right now is, um, you know, his treatment of, you know, when he was in the wilderness and how he used scripture to combat sort of the temptation that Satan was um, throwing at him. And he, he had all of this, I guess, ammunition. You've already talked, Adam, haven't you, about memorizing scripture. And I see, you know, memorizing scripture and and storing his God's words in our heart is like um, putting arrows in our quiver ready for whenever um, Satan, you know, attacks us. So I think that I'm really inspired by Jesus' um, just memory and understanding of the truth of scripture, particularly for when he was attacked, because I think we need to know that, you know, Satan is um, the master of lies. He is a deceiver and we need to know God's truth in order to live our every day in alignment with um, the way Jesus lived his every day, which was just firmly on the truth of scripture. That's great. Great. Thanks for sharing on that. So we're, we're kind of starting to drift towards Jesus's engagement with the Bible, how he engaged with the Holy, with the Holy Spirit's help, but did he really need to because he was God? And yes, we can learn from him and be inspired by him, but actually he was still God. And Mike, you touched on um, you touched on something which is a, a bit of a discussion and has been throughout church history around um, who who was Jesus in the core of his identity. Yes, we know he's God, but at which point was he or wasn't he God? Was he always God? And when the Holy Spirit came on him and his baptism did it did it somehow do something to him or add something that wasn't there before and there's there's lots of uh what what are known as trinitarian heresies that we we won't go through but you can type them in online i mean i'll just uh give you a reminder if you're familiar with them and if you're not i'll give you a, a bit of an insight into a couple of them so one famous one would be arianism so this would be uh, the belief that that Jesus was created, he was the firstborn of creation. So he was he was a god. He is he is God, but he came from God, as you touched on earlier, Mike. He was created, but not necessarily eternal. Um, that would be something we'd say. No, we don't believe that. Um, but in trying to explain the Trinity, sometimes you can explain it in such a way as it makes it sound like you're saying that. We're not saying that. If you think we're saying that, absolutely not. Another one would be uh, docetism. So this would be the um, the belief that that Jesus was fully human, but he was somehow in, empowered with with divine qualities and appeared to be divine. Um, no, sorry the other way around this is how complicated it is he appears <laughs> to be appears to be human but he's not actually human so he's kind of divine but he's he's it's sort of like a, a mirage i suppose it's it's mm. kind of it's god acting human but not really human and there's all sorts of them you can go very complicated but this this makes a massive difference when you think about how jesus engaged with the bible but also in terms of power um prophesying and, and something which has also been a discussion point over church history is something known as, as kenosis. And uh, we were talking about this before we, we uh, pressed record. And so should we give a quick summary of that? Because this is an interesting one. What, what do we understand by kenosis, Mike? And do we, do we think there's any merit in it? Well, I think the, the Philippians, Philippians 2 is a, is a really good passage to look at in that where he talks about Jesus um, em uh, emptying himself, becoming, taking on uh, human form and, um, you know, laying aside something of the glory he had in heaven in order to take on the likeness of human flesh and, you know, suffer in our, suffer in our stead, uh, just to sort of summarise it. And I think that there's, there's a there's a some degree of teaching going around, particularly today. It's having a bit of a resurgence, which is saying that Jesus 
laid not only aside his glory and so became in human likeness, so you couldn't see his his glory was veiled. His, the glory of God was veiled. When you looked at a human, you looked at him, you just saw an ordinary human being, which Isaiah says there was nothing even particularly attractive about him that we might desire him. So he wasn't even particularly, you know, he wasn't the the, the sort of the pinup uh, of humanity, saying, well, this is a perfect man. It's not like that. It's just you could have walked past him in the street without particularly even knowing who he was. He wouldn't have stood out in a crowd didn't float above the ground or anything like that or have any kind of aura about him. He was, there was nothing about him that would attract us to him physically. But some people have taken that to mean also he laid aside what he laid aside his Godhood, that he literally became a man, left his Godhood. And so operated as a, as a man under the anointing of the Holy spirit, gaining his direction from far from his father by the pouring out of the spirit upon himself therefore giving us a model to follow so we are when we're in him we're then following in his likeness now i think that's essentially wrong on on a number of fronts first of all as i said you, you cannot you cannot stop being essentially who you are if you're god you can't stop being god and because god is three persons each person is fully god and there is only one God, all of those factors have to be borne in mind whenever we make any definition of the Trinity. And so if we say Jesus ceased to be God, we're actually um, dividing the indivisible unity of the Trinity, which you cannot do. You cannot say God ceased to be what he essentially was. That's 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 not a, not a possibility. He, he, God himself would become less than God. Now, he can veil himself so that his glory is hidden which is what i believe he scripture is saying so he he laid aside some of what it was to function in his essential nature but it doesn't mean he laid aside his essential nature and by laying aside some of that yes he can give us as a man an example of a man saying for example i delight to do your will oh god he's he's giving us an example of obedience to the father He's giving us an example of the Holy Spirit resting upon him. But notice what the father said at his baptism. He said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. He didn't say this is a man who used to be my son. No, <laughs> this is my son. He's, he's actually affirming his divinity, divinity at that point of baptism. So I think we have to be very careful that we don't tamper with the indivisible unity of the Trinity. And I go back to my... My example that I learned years ago about you know, the eternally begotten of the Father, that you, you beget what you essentially are, you don't, but you only make something that is different from you. So if Jesus had a point of birth, he would be essentially different from God, who's eternal. So he, he would be made by God, but not be God. He'd be a product of God. So he has to be eternally the word with the Father from eternity who came into human history at a point, he wasn't always human, he became a human at a point in history, and, important to say, he has carried our humanity back with him into the rest of eternity. He didn't leave behind his humanity when he ascended. He's taken our humanity into heaven, which is a phenomenal thing. That's also a point of history. But his essential nature has been, always will be, and must be upheld by us, I believe, to be essentially God. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, so for the record, um, we we said it's wrong. So thinking of um, <laughs> of, of, of kino kenosis, this um, image of 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 Jesus emptying himself or laying aside. If we're taking that to mean his divinity, we're saying no, we don't we don't think that took place. Um, but yet it, it is mysterious and difficult to explain in what way he is, as you're saying, Mike, veiling himself. Um, it's hard for us to find the language, isn't it? Do you think that's why, and you might have an opinion on this, Anna, what, is, is this why we've got ourselves in muddles in the last couple of thousand years? And still today, you know, we, we're not quoting names, but it's easy to say in a sermon, isn't it? Something that if you've studied church history you're going to think oh um that sounds like arianism what you've just said 
that's heresy. You're a heretic. And then and then we think, well, you know, crumbs, not, you know, there's there's loads of well-meaning preachers and pastors who love people and serve God. Is it is it is it too much to just expect everyone to give a precise systematic theology every time they open their mouth? We're going to make mistakes, aren't we? Does, does it matter? What do you think, Anna? <laughs> Does it matter that our theology is correct? Is yeah. that the question? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think, I mean, of course it matters. It's um, what you build your whole life on. It's what you understand God to be. It's what you, um, what distinguishes Christians from, you know, what other faiths that have also a belief in who Jesus is, but is not what we believe Jesus is, like Muslims, for example. So I think it's absolutely essential that we have this correctly because um, it's it's also, I mean, I know that um, a lot of people think that, you know, I mean, I don't know if we, we've sort of touched on this, but, you know, that anything Jesus can do, we can do um, because he was, fully human and uh, you know laid aside as a divinity therefore he was that's this is what they're saying you know he he laid aside as a divinity therefore he's a perfect model of what we can do so anything he did um we can do which is obviously i cannot forgive sins so that is incorrect right there and then so um yes mm. i mean i i don't know sort of how to how to um emphasize more clearly that you know it's absolutely essential that we get this um yeah wrecked in our heads and in our hearts so it's so it's, it's something we we're saying of course we want to get it correct but it is the way we respond to one another right or wrong um is there something to do with if it's said publicly or especially if you're a high profile church um, or there's a recording of you and someone questions you on a sentence you've said, is are we wise to say, actually, on reflection, like that came out wrong? Is that what we're saying? Because we're not saying, I'm, you know, I think, man, a lot of stuff I've probably said over the years might not be exactly correct, hmm. but I'm not being analysed. Well, I think that's a really good point because sometimes our attempts to genuinely communicate something that's true and, we, and is biblically orthodox, can come out with a vocabulary that isn't quite clear. I, mean, I think of how many thousands of Sunday school teachers have tried to explain the Trinity with ice, water, and steam, or, you know, eggs. four leaf through eggs and all that sort of <laughs> stuff, which are all heretical. I mean, it's all heresy. I, mean, I think, oh, well, they're only children. We're just trying to be simple. No, it's wrong. Um, but you're not going to sort of you know, brandish and and haul before the church Sunday school teachers who are perhaps trying to do the best but just quite haven't had the vocabulary. I do think it means we need to train everybody well, categorise everybody well to understand it's easier to define the Trinity by what it isn't, by what, by what isn't true, that it is by what is true. That's why all the different creeds came about because yeah. when you read like the um, Athanasian Creed, it's all about saying, well, it's not this, and it's not this, and it's not this, and it's not. It's almost like warding off all the things it could be wrong, wrongly said. Um, so I think we can say things accidentally that we don't mean, which I think should be corrected. Which is another takeaway point, just to, just to make a little point here. I've always made it a uh, in, in the church church leadership role that I've had. I've always made it a point to the congregation publicly, if I ever say anything deliberately or accidentally that's biblically incorrect i want someone to point it out to me and then i will correct it at the next opportunity and i think probably through the 40 years or so that i've been doing this um i think three times i can remember that's happened uh, and it was me just getting excited and carried away with myself and i said something that didn't quite come out right and could have been easily misunderstood to be either doctrinally incorrect or un just un unhelpful or whatever and I've corrected it the next week and I'm glad I live in that kind of environment where I'm accountable for what I say because we can say things totally innocently that we don't really realize we are saying but they do need to be we don't want to be 
in a straight jacket because it's I used to I mean I grew up in a church environment where you really had to watch every little tiny little thing you said and everyone's ah it was nitpicking all the time it was awful I don't I'm not after that and so anything you just you know you just watched every word in case you said something out of place I'm not talking about that I'm talking about a sort of a deliberate train of thought that actually you think mm, actually I perhaps didn't quite get that right sort of thing yeah no that's good yeah. they're probably a good moment to say to all our many many uh, viewers out there uh, if there's anything that we're saying that you want to <laughs> yeah, talk to Adam get in contact at <laughs> podcast at relationalmission.com and uh, part of what we're doing here you know we've not we've not got just so you know I mean you you're probably thinking I can see that uh, we've not got a script we're not reading through a script we've not got lots of bullet points here with theological statements we're, we're having a, a, a discussion here we've got some headings and really we're trying to just unpack how we see things so within our uh, family of churches relational mission this this is the way in which we work we, we are family and we feel it's important to to work theology out together and so we look to church leaders we look to apostolic team to help set the plumb line but we we do it as as family, we chat together. So we're not mm. a completed article. There's stuff we've got to learn. We benefit from reading other people's material. Mm. And I think I think that's part of it. And I think that, that would be my view. I think we're gonna say some things wrong. And and as we grow and mature, we we learn, don't we? And we think, man, I've never seen that before in that way, whether it's about Jesus, his person, or something, I think I've just not taken that on board. And I think, as you say, Mike, being humble enough to say sorry said that wrong I do not think that it just came out wrong and I think we have to have space for that you might explain it wrong doesn't mean that is a theological position that we that we hold deeply so um Anna just, anything you want to chuck in or well, I just wanted, can I just draw something out a bit more from what Anna said um the point about Jesus being a model that we can then follow I mean there's a huge issue here about what what we might call over-realized eschatology, um, thinking where you know our expectations of what's possible for us to see um, can be set so high that we're constantly being disappointed or feeling that there's something wrong with us. Or yeah. they can be so low because of not realizing that God is able to do more than we ever ask or imagine sort of thing. Uh, and then there's this whole thing of different gift mixes in the middle and faith levels where you know, some people have got faith for, for remarkable things in certain areas and others haven't this gift, you know, gifts of faith, as it were, not not sort of attitudes of mind, but gifts. I just wondered if you've got any thoughts on, on, on that, Anna, in terms of just pushing that point a little bit more. You said about Jesus being a model for us and how to avoid sort of constant disappointment then uh, if we're not coming up to what he did. Yeah, yeah, good one. Um. Yes, well, I think that it's something, faith is really important in all of this, and that faith is a um, like a muscle that the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. So I think that as we continue, as I, I'm always challenged to continually step out in faith, because I think the only way that you're going to see God move and see him um we'll see the things that we read um, in Acts, for example, is by taking those steps of faith. Um, but, and I think part of that is, is knowing still that we are, um, we're growing, we're works of progress um, and we have to push through um, disappointment. We have to push through, uh, I guess, mistakes, not quite listening to God. I mean, the thing about, um, Jesus was he, that he was constantly listening to the father. I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what the father is saying. And I think that's where um, the real challenge for me in my everyday life is when I'm surrounded by people Like I was working in a hospital for a certain point of time. And so if I believe that Jesus heals, um, is my mission basically that I should systematically go through everyone in the hospital wards and pray for healing for them um, because I believe that he heals? Well, I would say no, because God was, you know, Jesus was consistently surrounded by people um, who were sick. Um, the pool of Bethsaida, 
for example, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But yet he only reached out to one person. So I think part of the challenge in sort of navigating everyday life and walking with the spirit, um, being grounded in God's word, is learning to do what the father is doing and ask asking you know, the father constantly, you know, where are you at work? Because if we can recognize more easily where the father is at work, then that's where I would say we would have sort of the success and the encouragement and the sort of um, the fruit um, that would keep us going and sort of, um, well, it would just prevent us from sort of having constant uh, periods of disappointment, I guess. Um, So I don't know if that's... Yeah, it's a real balance, isn't it? Because I was thinking just of John Wimber. I'm so thankful to God for John Wimber's example where he's sort of saying, if people questioned him about, you know, how can you say God heals or I've prayed for people that haven't been healed? And he'd say, well, pray for a thousand people and then come back to me and tell me God doesn't heal. So his point was about persistence and growing in things. And I do think even today, some of the the names that we're associated with who really do have an attitude of let's keep going for this, let's keep going for this, which sometimes we might feel is a little bit, we might say is slightly over-realized eschatology. I mean, I applaud at least the fact that they're going for it and they're, yeah. they're, they're, not, set, they're not settling. I think where it becomes um, counterproductive is, is making an assumption that every single situation should have a, you know, total 100% heaven's visitation upon it because I think we do live in the now and the not yet. The kingdom has come but has not yet fully come. And I think it's getting that balance right without settling either for less than God is desirous to do or or having a, having a sort of a benchmark that is beyond what we're going to see until all things are made new. And I, I think that's often where individual Christians and whole churches can go go off in all sorts of you know challenging directions and sort of living with a paradox that just says keep going keep going trust god with the mystery but keep going um trusting the holy spirit learning we're all learning how to hear him more aren't we we're all learning how to move in the gifts of the spirit more yeah um yeah i was just just fascinated to hear your your thoughts on that that's very helpful i was just going to clarify because for some people listening um hearing about um over realized eschatology uh, might be thinking hang on a minute what, what you know what's this and kingdom now and not yet so that you know these are theological terms you can look them up but that the a, a, a dominant view would be that when jesus announced the coming of the kingdom he's bringing the kingdom now but the kingdom wasn't present in complete fullness otherwise that would mean the eradication of all sickness healing suffering and so on that's still to come so the kingdom is not yet and so we live in that in-between phase and then the the eschatology so that's to do with studying of the future and the end times and so if people have an over-realized eschatology that means that they they are thinking and expecting and believing that too much has come now and if you've got an under-realized, it's the opposite. It's kind of thinking, well, it's all to come. We're just hanging on here until Jesus comes again and there's no more. And so we're in that uncomfortable middle, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, that's very well put. Yeah. And we have to learn to navigate life through that without either losing faith or pressing or stepping out in presumption. Yeah. And that's that's a that's a maturity issue, and it's also a discernment issue, I think. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, as, as Anna says, you know, learning to do what the Father's doing in each and every situation we're in, and yeah. to hear Him, to hear Him well in each situation. So the word, the word and spirit, then, because that's what we're doing in this series. In that context, it it gives it a new kind of light doesn't it so without the word and without the holy spirit living in that in-between phase it would be pretty bleak and lonely we wouldn't know what we're doing you wouldn't know what to expect you wouldn't have anything to stand on you wouldn't know what had happened and there'd be no person no no presence of god in there to actually bring something of the future now and Mm. so what's different now do you think than than in the future so when we think of heaven heaven on earth the fullness of time are we going to still need the word 
are we going to need the spirit in the same way? Are they going to disappear? Clearly, the spirit's not. Well, I think the word the word is is the revelation of who Jesus is and who God is. So when you know when Paul said, you know, now we see in part, then we shall see face to face. I think it's just the the. Somewhere else it says, you know, blessed are you who have believed but have not seen. Um, you know, there are some who've seen and believed, but there are many of you now who've believed without seeing. So I think the point is being made that the word um, illuminates or reveals Jesus to us. The word of God, the written word of God reveals the perfect revelation of Jesus to us when he's not physically present any longer when we're physically present with him, then we won't need a testament to him because he will be his own testament. You know, the, 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 the lamb will be the, the light of heaven, as it were. So all things will be seen in his countenance. Yeah. So it, it will, it, it, we're, we're very much helped by scripture to believe without seeing as yet. Yeah. Um, and scripture is, is serving that purpose until the day when we see face to face and are yeah. known even as we are as known even as we fully fully known yeah, even yeah. as we know in part as it were yeah yeah um and just kind of backtracking a little bit in terms of thinking about the the authority of the bible and having good foundations which we've been talking about doctrinally i've i've heard over the years comments made like the bible is is a good reference the bible gives principles uh, the bible because it's about jesus the bible is a doorway into other kinds of revelation it, it the bible isn't all there is to know so the bible's important it's got authority but it isn't all revelation there's revelation that comes beyond the bible particularly because we can engage with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus isn't bound by the Bible, is he? So do we accept that? Is there any, 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 anything of a good point in what I've just said? Well, I think there's a, the, this is the difference between sola scripture and prima scripture. So if we're saying sola scripture, we mean scripture on its own is sufficient for doctrine, belief, and practice, and that anything God says will find its way back to the authority of Scripture being the foundation for upon, upon which we can make any statement, do any activity, or believe any, any you know, fact. Uh, Prima Scripture would say that primarily God uses Scripture but he can also reveal himself through extra scriptural activity of the Holy Spirit or even church tradition, which would be a, something more to do with the Catholic sort of uh, church view. I think we would have to personally, I think we'd have to say no sola scripture is the only is the, is the truth, but that doesn't mean um, that every way that the Holy Spirit manifests himself has to be, traced back to an example of the same thing happening before in scripture so for example when paul's aprons and handkerchiefs and whatever fell on sick people and healed them if we if we take that we say oh well it's okay for a piece of clothing to heal someone um but we say well i don't think anybody could be healed over zoom or over a, a, a you know an internet call because we've not got any examples in scripture of that happening and so we're then arguing about the mode of something rather than the principle of something a bit like jesus when he healed one man who was blind and he spat on the ground and made mud and put it on his eyes and then another man who was blind he didn't make mud he just spat and put saliva on his hands and healed him and and martin lloyd jones makes the famous sort of uh point that uh church church history shows that we tend to go into camps so way we read those two accounts, you'll get the Muddites and you'll get the anti-Muddites, both of which are arguing that their way is the only way that's scripturally authenticated in order to heal a blindness. It's got to be with mud or it's got to be totally without mud. And so I think we can get ourselves into, into all sorts of, you know, cul-de-sacs that we don't need to. Things happen in meetings that are not written in the Bible, 
but they're principles where we can see that, that what's the fruit of it is more i don't if somebody does a cartwheel for jesus it's not in the bible but if they love jesus more after they've done it then it's good fair game as far as i'm concerned i've never tried it myself but you know the point yeah, is in some of the it's difficult yeah. with headphones on but I, could, I think back of when the, the whole Toronto thing was happening in sort of 94, 95, mid-90s, various things were happening in meetings, manifestations of the spirit, things that Jonathan Edwards wrote about in his day, and Wesley and others wrote about these sort of similar you know, affections of the uh, – affections, was it? Spiritual affections, that's right. People crying, groaning, laughing, fainting, swooning, all these things. They're not written in the Bible as examples of what happened in meetings, but we must look at the fruit of them rather than the actual mode of God's spirit manifesting his presence. I think that's the that's probably yeah. the, the point. Yeah. I don't know. Have you got any, th any extra thoughts on that, Anna? I mean, just rambling um, on a bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm come from a um, Catholic background which did believe in sort of tradition um, carrying equal weight um, to scripture, which is is not what I believe either at the moment. Um, not at the moment. Um, I don't believe that. Um, get myself in a, a hole here. No, um, but it's something that I was I was told. You know that this was um, tradition was an equal weight to um, scripture. Um, I'm just wondering with the sola scripture. We're not saying that prophecy is um, not something that we believe in because we do believe obviously that um we believe in the gift so i just thought that was worth sort of putting out there um yeah it's more about saying that it, the prophecy then must have a doctrinal and practical root that we can yeah. push back to to say well scripture would authenticate what's being said um, not that it's repeated exactly like that somewhere else, but that the principle yeah. can can be traced back um, yeah. in in some way, shape, or form. I think that's the that's the key issue. Yeah. So so we we're, we're we're saying it sounds like we but we believe that the Bible is authoritative. It should be taken seriously, and it's it's whatever it's saying it's hard to understand sometimes but if we can we need to wrestle and grapple to understand it but what it says um applies directly to us as individuals as families as communities as churches we need to take that on board in that sense it goes above us we don't believe i think i know although we've not discussed it we don't believe it's full of all kinds of errors so we believe it's inerrant in the sense that yes there might be a few copy mistakes and there's a few minor things in the text which are there yes but we're, we're talking a very small percentage and we're saying that the the overall message and truth and way in which it backs itself up stands firm um and we're also saying that the holy spirit is present real gives gifts speaks to us today directly but that doesn't in that sense trump the bible it doesn't override. So if we feel God's saying something to us personally, even if we have a really powerful ex experience or encounter, um, that in and of itself doesn't confirm the authenticity of a particular message, does it? So if, if I feel I've been taken off to heaven um, and there are other religions that would say that they've had a visitation from an angel or they've been taken away somewhere and they've been literally given like the equivalent of words, a word, and they've written it down and it's become scriptures to them. Um, and the proof of it is because it was backed up by a supernatural experience or an angel. Mm. We would have questions about that, wouldn't we? Yeah. I mean, I, I can think of a, a couple of situations where pastorally over the years, I can, I can think of times when I've heard, Someone say, oh, the Lord has told me it's okay to divorce my partner and go off with my now true found love. You know, uh, I married the wrong person sort of thing. Uh, I've also heard people say, God has spoken to me about this truth. I've had an angelic visitation. So this is the real truth. I'm giving my ministry to, to you know, fully proclaim this truth. Now, the thing is about that, well, it doesn't give the rest of us, it might see the Bible slightly differently on that issue, any room to to negotiate. Because if God's visited you with an angel, well, and he hasn't us, 
we've only got the Bible to argue from. Well, we're on, her, we're on the back foot to start with. So I think we can't, we can't use spiritual experiences to sort of up the ante <laughs> of our argument. We've got to be able to argue from the scripture, teach it from the scripture. What does the scripture say? Not how many angels are on the end of your bedstead that night. You know, argue the point from the scriptures. Make your point there and, and commend it to people's consciences. So it's not driven with an atmosphere. It's driven with carefully handled exegesis. So our confidence comes in the way scripture, scripture speaks for itself if we just unfold it naturally. It naturally commends itself and it comes with a weight. We don't have to ramp it up with all kinds of spiritual extras just to make it look a bit more convincing. Yeah. And I think we should really avoid that, um, both in the way we present it and also in the way we might make you know, arguments for what we're believing God wants us to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. So what about for us? You know, we're, we're sort of drawing near to a close. And I know on another week we're going to really look at how we can engage with the Bible practically and what that might look like on a week to week, day to day basis. But what 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 can we actually learn? Maybe just to sort of lead into this as a an advert for next time. What can we learn from Jesus? Because if we're saying that he's somehow both. 100% God, 100% man, he is doing things as a man, miracles and reading the Bible, engaging with, but he's also doing it as God. So it's it feels like it's that's really helpful to me, but also unhelpful in the sense of I can't imitate the kind of divine attributes directly because I don't have them, but I know, yes, I've got the Holy Spirit, so I should be able to. So there's always that sense where Jesus is like me, but yet completely other. So what, what can we l learn? So going away in terms of maybe re reading or engaging with the Bible, but also doing what Jesus did, because we know he did say things like uh, ask, you'll receive, you'll do greater things than I. And so there was that sense in which he was saying, yeah, you, you go and do it. You know, I've shown you how to do it. You go and do it now. So what, what, what can we legitimately do, say, in the next few weeks, months, that that is following in Jesus's footsteps when it comes to word and spirit and any like little practical examples or um, tools or practices that will help us keep in step with the way Jesus lived and what the Holy Spirit might be doing now. Hmm. Anna, do you want to start? Do you want to... <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question. It is a big question. I think that, I mean, Jesus we look at the disciples, so they healed the sick, cleansed the leper, cast out demons, raised the dead. And, um, you know, and then in Matthew 28, it says, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go out, make disciples. So I think knowing that, you know, we are spirit empowered, filled with the spirit, that God has commissioned us to go out into all of the world and to the you know, authority has been given to him. He's given that to us, that we are to do what his disciples did, which is to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, all of these things. I think just a sense of expectancy that the um, the God of yesterday is the same as the God of today, what he did with the disciples then, he still wants to do with us today. He's still building his church. He's using us as his instruments and tools of that. So I think just taking little steps every day of just saying, you know, God, I want to be used for your glory today. I want you to use me to um, build your church. I want to be obedient in what I've read from scripture. I know that you have filled me with your spirit and therefore it's by your power that I can take these steps of faith. But just help me live today in a way that brings you glory um help me to overcome the fear or step out in fear I do lots of stuff all the time that I'm so scared about but I'm just like I just don't want to rob God of any glory that he could have by doing something through me so I just take those steps and I think just for me I keep telling myself that if having the the excuse or the reason of don't do it because you're um scared that's not good enough just do it anyway so i think having expectancy 
knowing what the Bible says about who we are and that, you know, we've been told to go out and do these things. We have God's spirit, that he's guiding us um, and just being willing. I think being willing and available and taking small steps every day. But then on top of that, reading your Bible every day so that you know that in all of this, you are filled with God's words and that, you know, he's he's feeding you in 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 a in that everyday ongoing way that keeps you rooted and safe in the hands when you do meet all of these people. So that's yeah. kind of a splurge of what mm. I think. That's great. I think that it's very similar in dynamic to when Jesus sent out the 70, didn't he? He said, you know, go into all the world and, you know, go to the villages and blah, blah, blah. And they, they set out not not having any experience at all. They'd just been given a commission and they were stepping out in obedience and faith to what he'd asked them to do. And they came back overexcited because more had happened than they thought was going to happen. And he said, well, calm down, you know, just don't lose your bearings, as it were. Rejoice, your names are in written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Don't don't get too excited about all the stuff that's happening. I told you that would happen. So, <laughs> you know, so it's a bit like how we are with him. We go, go out on a limb. We just take that, go out to the edge, get some fresh stories, do something we've not done before, um, you know, pray for someone, prophesy for someone, share the gospel with a neighbor or a friend, or just do something where the Holy Spirit has to be the one who makes it fruitful. Otherwise, nothing's going to mm. happen. That's a yeah. great way to live. I suppose if I can just bring the other side to, to what fuels that, I would say read the Bible with Jesus. Let him illuminate from the scriptures to you. I, when I read the Bible, any even any little verse, I'm expecting Jesus by the Holy Spirit to speak to me. I'm expecting him to do it. And he does. I, invariably, whenever I spend time reading the Bible, he will speak to me. It, it's invariably the same. And so I've learned to read expectantly. And I don't think, I mean, we can dig into this perhaps a little. I'll set this one up on the golf ball tee for another episode in the series. But I don't think reading the Bible should be classified or thought about as an educational information exercise. You don't have to be educated to a certain standard. You don't have to be particularly um, studious or even enjoy reading for the Bible to be something that feeds you and nurtures you. I think it was Michael Eaton who, who said, Christianity is not a booky religion. And yet he's one of the, you know, masters of the theology of, of our, you know, our generation. He says it's not a booky religion. And we can sometimes make it about books and about, you know, even the book. It's not meant to be. It's meant to be a living, interactive thing that we engage with Scripture by the power of the Spirit, not mm. just reading it as an educational inf information sort of um, self-help manual or something like that. So... That's something we can explore on another on another um, occasion. But yeah, that would be my splurge to finish. That's great. Yeah, I've been personally just impacted again by Jesus's encounter with the woman um, in Samaria at the well, and just his his interaction with her. Which, when you read the story in the in, in the Gospels, you find it it was prophetic. She she says, "You're a prophet. You know all about me." Uh, you know stuff uh, that clearly wasn't written in the scriptures Jesus would have read. He, he knew this stuff, um, and yet he's revealing himself to her as as the answer, as as the living word, the the living word who is as Mike referred to in in uh, the Gospel of John, who was there at the beginning, saying, "Come, come, receive, come." study me come I'm the one that will give you life and then when the disciples come back because they've gone off to get food haven't they and and buy some stuff because he's hungry and then he says at that point actually I've got other food that you don't know about that doing the will of my father um obeying and responding to the spirit and keeping in step and so I think for me just thinking about the the word and the spirit it's got it's got that like immediate action as, as you've both touched on it, it is a day-to-day -day thing it should be it can't just be something that I've studied a couple of years ago you don't know what the equivalent of those women at the well encounters might be what, what mm. Jesus is wanting to do what he's wanting to say but ultimately he is wanting to present himself 
to, to us, to me, to the world around as, as the word, as the answer. Um, and that that's what fills us and feeds us. If we're in step, if we're obeying, then that's where the life is. And, and we can't drift. You know, that's that's what I found that it's it's hard to get by on what you did a few months ago. Um, it, it drains away. It's got to be that that living and active. And I think when I look at Jesus, that's what I see. He, he wasn't getting by, was he, on what he read ages ago when he was 12, uh, what he was learning in the temple. It, it was like a daily thing. He'd go off and pray and he, he must have recanted the scriptures to himself and thought about them. And something in, in that makes me think, yeah, that's that's inspirational. That's how Jesus lived. Um, he is showing the way. That's how we've got to do it. So we've, we've got to keep fighting for that. That's great. Yeah, I like that. It's been good. Well, great to chat again. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Mike and Anna and uh, Adam. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back for <laughs> session you, three. We'll be back for session three where we're going to pick up on a little bit more of delving into God's word. So until then, farewell. Good. Indeed. Goodbye. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Do get in touch and connect with us via Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at RM Churches. For more information, you can also go to the website www.relationalmission.org.